0: Welcome to Rumble Strip, America Heilman. This is part two of the VPR series, They Are Us. Today's show is called Home, and it explores the role that housing plays in the lives of people with serious mental illness and how inadequate housing is one big reason why so many people with serious mental illness keep winding up back in the hospital. Hi. Welcome. Welcome. People having mental health crises are going to hospital emergency rooms in record numbers seeking care. We're just the catch-all for people.
1: And we can't say no, and we don't say no. We want people to come to us if they're having a psychiatric emergency, 100%. But our doors don't close. They don't close for psychiatric patients, and they don't close for medical patients. And there's times where we can't get out of our own way as far as being able to provide good care for everybody.
0: That's an emergency room charge nurse in Burlington, Vermont. And she's describing a problem that's playing out not just here, but all over the country. Emergency rooms are not equipped to treat people with mental illness. So ER nurses are tasked with keeping them safe and keeping their other patients safe until a bed opens up in one of the psychiatric hospitals around the state. And those beds are in short supply.
1: Frankly, I would call it a disgrace.
0: That's Ken Liebertoff. He was the director of the Vermont Association for Mental Health for 30 years.
1: We've had uh, confirmed reports that people are sitting in emergency rooms and hospitals for days, for weeks, even in some cases for months, because there is not access to psychiatric care, either in other hospital settings, in uh, Vermont Psychiatric Hospital, in Rutland Mental Health or the Brad Retreat, or that community health centers don't have capacity to handle the acuity
2: of some of the patients there.
0: Here's the CEO of the Brattleboro Retreat, Lewis
2: Josephson. If we had people with cardiac conditions sitting in an emergency room untreated, untreated, so you just had a heart attack, and you sit in the emergency room for a week untreated till we can find you a cardiac bed in a hospital, people would be up in arms. But you can have bipolar disorder or major depression, have made a serious suicide attempt, and you will sit untreated, having somebody observe you so you don't harm yourself again, sit in an emergency department until you can find an inpatient psychiatric bed. That's acceptable, but it wouldn't be acceptable if it was a more medical condition. So I think that's gotta be explained by stigma.
1: We had a gentleman recently who was here for three weeks at least, three weeks. Um, He was depressed, they felt that he needed to be hospitalized and he was willing to be hospitalized. But most of the hospitals didn't feel like he met criteria for hospitalization and they get to decide that. But he didn't feel safe going home and so he was just here. So day after day after day after day, this person's here, and where am I going? And you know, how come nobody wants me? And why can't I get help? And they're not getting it here. It's no better than if we had a had a stall for horses. They have food, water, and shelter. And uh, there you go. There's a
0: small minority of severely mentally ill Vermonters who struggle for years with recurring psychiatric crises and repeated visits to emergency rooms and psychiatric hospitals. But like regular hospitals, psychiatric hospitals are not meant for long-term care. You're not supposed to check in and stay. So where do people go after they leave? And why do so many people keep coming back? In this show, we hear about the role that housing plays in mental health care. Here's Brian Lindcourt, a night charge nurse at the Brattleboro Retreat's Adult Intensive Unit.
3: We had an elderly gentleman who was terribly ill. He thought he was the Lord God of all creation, and this man was horribly sick. And he came in, and we had him four weeks, and eventually got him on medications, and he started to clear. And he would tell us how much better he was feeling, and, I mean, he came in filthy and dirty and naked half the time. And He got on medications, and they helped. He calmed down. He was more comfortable in his own skin. He could sleep at night. He was eating. He looked ten years younger than when he walked in the door. And we discharged him into the greater community. So after this man had suffered so much and gotten so much better, and so many hundreds of hours have been invested, the resources that we had to discharge him into were a hotel room down on Putney Avenue. So 16 hours after we discharged this man, I'm driving into work in the middle of a snowstorm and the man's out there on the side of the road in 20 degree weather making shooting gestures at cars. How am I not going to see this guy again?
0: Again, here's the CEO of the Brattleboro Retreat, Louis Josephson.
2: These are people who are sort of our most challenging people who, again, have a chronic mental illness, and have struggled over many years. And so they tend to have periods where they're doing fine and periods where they struggle, and we need to be here. And they often stay, you know, they're, they're here for months. Um, what worries me and what frustrates me is the people that stay here for years, and it's not because of their clinical needs. It's because we don't have these residential programs and other programs, and I believe it's really a human rights issue at that point. You have someone, again, imagine you were at a medical center here in Vermont and you were living there for a year, for two years, for three years, for over three years. That's not a place for someone to live their life. You don't, you're supposed to live your life in a community of people.
1: There's enough people like my son who can't live on their own due to their illness. And we are, again, wanting to put them away. They should just go to a hospital we don't want to see them as our president said the sickos that's what i'm fighting against that's connie
0: stabler her son is 33 years old and he's been living with schizophrenia since he was 19. in that time he's been hospitalized nine times sometimes for up to a year he's moved at least 10 times in 13 years He's lived in temporary therapeutic settings, group homes, and Section 8 housing, which have
1: always ended in crisis and hospitalization. The ER problem is not just there not being enough hospital beds. I'm not even sure they need more hospital beds in this state. I think they need more permanent housing to keep people out of having to go to the hospital, and it's very difficult to get any level of supportive housing for folks, let alone permanent. Because there just isn't enough.
2: You know, that one person who's on our Tyler IV state psychiatric unit for over three years now, you think about if the average length of stay there is, you know, six months, nine months even, think of all the patients we could have served in that three year period. And so that's X number of people less waiting in emergency rooms. And I, that happens on all of our units, not just the state hospital unit.
0: Here's the unit chief for adult general units at the Brattleboro Retreat, Carl Jeffries.
2: We will have patients who very much are just struggling to maintain stability outside of a hospital on their own. They might even have really intensive services where they'll have a case manager from a designated agency who shows up at their house every day and and gives them medications and really you know a lot of oversight, but. The, the lack of structure of being in an apartment on their own and, you know, having to walk downtown every night. They, they just aren't able to maintain stability. And everyone comes to an agreement, this person really needs to discharge from a hospital to a longer-term residential program. And they're uh, very limited. And so the, the wait time can be two months.
1: So my son, you know, is sitting... Uh in a hospital, because he can't, there's no place for him to go to. And finally, the hospital say, I'm sorry, he can't stay here anymore. And they put him in some temporary place. But he's provided with nothing to do. And he's just going to go out and get into trouble. (laughs) Um, And at this point, I think they finally discovered that after I've been telling them for years that he needs his own room. He cannot share a room. And all of the housing that they have, um, almost all of it is, you know, you share a room. Now, you put two people with schizophrenia in a room together. And what do you think might happen? And so my son, you know, gets aggressive, because when he starts to get paranoid, he starts getting paranoid about what this person is saying about them or doing or might do or is threatening, and he's going to threaten them. And then he's got to leave. He's got to leave.
2: The Community Mental Health Act of 1963, I believe, was supposed to set up a national system of community mental health centers to care for these people who were coming out of hospitals who didn't need to live their lives there. And they were never funded, ever, as they were intended. And so they were never able to meet the needs. And so we've seen exactly what we've got. We've got people with mental illness living in the streets. We see, you know, what is the biggest mental health institutions in our country? It's our prisons and jails. That's where we're warehousing people, literally. We're not treating them very well. That's where people with chronic mental illness are served. And it's expensive, and they're not getting good care. So, I mean, that's what we've done. We, we haven't so much deinstitutionalized, taken people out of these big mental health institutions. We've transinstitutionalized them. We've just taken them across the river to the correction system and the prison and jails, and that's where they sit.
1: What if it were you? Or what if it were your family member? You don't think they deserve to live in the community and be a productive member because they can and are productive members of our society. They just want respect. They wanna live in dignity. And we're not allowing them that opportunity when we lock them up in a hospital. And we're paying to lock them up in that and not have to think about them.
2: I would love to move upstream. Don't wait till Mrs. Smith is ready to discharge on March 10th. She should be in our database. Oh, Mrs. Smith, she has paranoid schizophrenia. She's been in and out of the hospital 15 times. She did well in this program. She didn't do well in that program. And we should be able to analyze that and and stay on top of it. You know, I, I remember saying to one of the other hospital CEOs recently, they all had tuberculosis. We would be on them like you wouldn't believe it, observing them taking their medication, making sure they're getting their treatment. We would, we would try to control the factors that cause people to be in crisis. We should know these people. There are people.
0: You've been listening to Vermont Public Radio's They Are Us inside Vermont's mental health care system. Music for this series is by the bands Godspeed You, Black Emperor, and Esmerine. Additional music from Vermont musicians Peter Cressy, Brian Clark, and Mike D'Onofrio. My big thanks to the professional advisor for this series, Dylan Burns, and associate producers Mark Davis and Claire Dolan. If you have a comment or a story of your own, I would love to hear from you. Just go to rumblestripvermont.com and go to the bottom of the show page. And if you want to check out more mental health resources, visit vpr.net and click on the They Are Us button. I'll be back in a couple days with part three, which is a program about being the parent of an adult child living with schizophrenia. I'm Erica Heilman. Thanks a lot for listening.